2: Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It The Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. Don't forget to sign up to Owning It Real Time. I am loving the reviews that are coming in so far, and I'm so thrilled to have had a clinical psychologist himself tell me that this is exactly the kind of thing that he would use in clinic with his own patients, when especially trying to help them with anxiety in the middle of the night. So if you're having trouble sleeping, do go check out Owning It Real Time and you'll have gorgeous, sweet dreams. You can access Owning It Real Time at the link in the podcast notes or at the link in my bio on my Instagram page at Owning a Podcast or at Caroline Ford. Now this week my guest is Rosanna Davison. She is stunning inside and out. She's a former Miss World. She's a mother of three. She's a nutritionist. She's a best-selling author and most of all she is such an incredible spokesperson for fertility issues um, in Ireland and abroad as well. She has had an incredibly difficult journey to get to becoming a mother. She is one now, she's a mother to three and here she shares her story with me about anxiety and fertility, the entire journey, the anxiety that goes with all of the losses, all of the wondering, the waiting, the not knowing what will happen, the not knowing what her future will look like. There is a lot to discuss here and I'm so grateful to Rosanna for sharing with me and being so vulnerable and I really hope that if you are on your own fertility journey um, and you're feeling very anxious that you feel less alone for this conversation and find some comfort in it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Rosanna Davison, I wanted to talk to you for so long on this podcast because I've had so many requests from people to talk about the relationship between fertility and anxiety and the long journey that people can go on and the work that goes with it and the wondering if it will ever happen. And then the becoming a parent also brings its own
3: anxieties too. So I'm so excited to chat to you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Caroline. I know it's been a long time coming. I'm so grateful to be a guest on your podcast, um, knowing how popular it is as well. Um, it's such an important topic to look at or a series of topics um, and I know we we chatted about potentially talking on the podcast I think it was last June in the toilets at the VIP awards <laughs> delighted we've, we've managed to get it together and go us I mean we've you know we've got families and commitments and busy lives so I'm delighted to sit down. For anyone who is listening and isn't
2: familiar with you I can't imagine that such a person exists but you are a mother of three at one point you had three under one.
3: Yes, Um, my twins were born three days before our daughter Sophia turned one. That was um, towards the end of 2020. I was now, I was in hospital and it's sort of a joke, but it sort of isn't. But that was the last time I actually lay down and had a bit of a rest was after my C-section, after having the twins. They were in the the NICU at the time. Um, But yeah, so there's three days under a year between all three of them. Wow. And
2: you're super busy with work, you're a best-selling author, you're a qualified nutritionist, you're a model, you are Miss World, you have your hands full and you do it all and you make it look effortless. But I know it's, I know there's a lot of work and organization goes into it. Today, obviously, we're going to talk about anxiety and your fertility journey. But before we get into that, I mean, you had a whole life before that journey ever began. You were in the public eye. You have a fairly well-known father. Would you say anxiety was a feature of your life growing up as a teenager or as a 20 something year old?
3: You know, you say I had a life before having a family. I can barely and maybe you're the same, (laughs) but I can barely think back to to the person I used to be before I became a mom and my whole perspective changed. And whole, you know, thought process changed every day. And it's hard to even imagine what I used to do with my time. But um, I know I had fun. <laughs> um, yeah, growing up, I was definitely a worrier. And that was the word used actually to my mom by my teacher. I remember being in fourth or fifth class in primary school. And I do remember it was the day we were doing a modern dance routine. And I, I couldn't get it right. I've never been the best dancer. You know, I love to dance. i at a wedding day but I'm pretty brutal and I remember getting really frustrated and worrying and trying to get a perfect and worrying that it wasn't and later that day my teacher said you know just keep an eye on, on Rosanna she's definitely prone to being a worrier and a little bit of a perfectionist and you know she's young she can just you know maybe relax a little bit more and not take things so seriously so I do thinking back you know I was always prone to to perfectionist tendencies and just trying to make sure everything was right and um wanting to to be good at everything i tried and it wasn't because i was comparing myself to my classmates or trying to be better than anyone else it was just trying to maybe live up to my own expectations of myself and i feel that that has continued somewhat into adult life and um, where i you know i have expectations of how i want to behave or or how i want to complete a task or the timelines that i want to get things done or goals for the year and i would put myself under an awful lot of pressure to get things done and 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 what i see is the right way and it's again as i said it's not competing with anyone else it's just competing with myself and i'm getting better i am working on it it's an ongoing um work in progress but um it's certainly been a feature of my personality and throughout my life It sounds like you feel more zen when you feel like under, I mean, I think most people
2: do when they feel under control Mm. of everything. And like with a lot of spinning plates, it is in in a weird way, like being in control solves any anxiety, but it also creates it because at some point, you know, all the spinning plates, like one of them will will probably drop. Absolutely. Yeah. You need to be okay with that, but that's really hard. You know, that's, that's really hard. And you obviously had like such a massive career in in the public eye. I know it was. I mean, you told me it was twenty years ago that you were crowned Miss World. I feel like were you five years old? Like you could not, you could not be old enough to for that to have happened twenty years ago. But that was before, obviously, the world we live in now with social media and stuff was. Was that an anxious time? Just, I mean, being in such a appearance focused. Well, from the outside, it seems to be an appearance focused environment and where you could easily if you're a perfectionist tendencies you could easily start to like link your self-worth or your value to how you look and especially if if you're in those kind of competitions and pageants where it's actually being measured like it's actually a metric for your success in in that field how do you get through that without I guess a lot of anxiety
3: do you know what I was I was lucky um in many ways, going into Miss World because I was a very much a normal first-year university student in UCD, and I found myself in Miss Ireland, and then going to Miss World, and it was never—I never saw myself as a, a glamorous girl. Growing up, I was—I was a tomboy. I had horses. <clears throat> I was happiest mucking about in the fields and muddy wellies, and I was always just outdoors, really into sports, athletics, horse riding. And so I never saw myself as that kind of glamorous girl. I was never allowed to wear makeup growing up. Um, I think all probably a lot of us had access to back then was, you know, a little bit of Rimmel in the pharmacy. (laughs) So I was never interested really in, in that side and I never identified with it. It was never my big goal to be a beauty queen. It very much obviously I'm hugely grateful it happened and it did change my life in a very positive way. Um, but it sort of just happened by chance. And I just found myself on this train to, to Miss World and I just went with it. And I found when when I went to China in December 2003 for Miss World, I mean, I'd had a lot of help and support from people like Lisa Fitzpatrick helped me to pack. She put together, she was incredible. She put together an, two outfits or three outfits, I think it was, per day for a month and helped me pack them. And she listed them out, she accessorized them, you know, daytime outfits, um, suits for kind of press conferences and media work, um, evening gala outfits. I didn't really have a clue. I mean, I was used to being in jeans, jodhpurs, tracksuits, that kind of thing. Um, it was back when O'Neill's were the cool <laughs> things to wear around campus. Um, so, you know, I was going into this new world and because of that, I had low expectations of, of myself in that environment i was going in it being totally new to me not knowing what to expect i very much was of the attitude that i was going into a very new experience i'd probably make some friends enjoy the travel aspect probably wouldn't be placed you know it was it wasn't like i was going in fully prepared fully imagining myself as this world-class beauty queen because it wasn't the case at all but what i did find was that my sort of a tendency towards perfectionism and my tendency to be anxious actually worked in my favor over there because I remember during it was about halfway through the first week there so we spent a month traveling around China starting in Hong Kong and we went to Shanghai Beijing Xi'an all sorts of places and it was incredible um, but I remember about halfway through that first week looking around at the girls and thinking wow they're really prepped I mean one of the girls had a handbook she used to consult in different situations you know, I would see them um, maybe elbow a few others to the side to get to the front of a photograph. I saw others, you know, I'm not being bitchy. It wasn't a bitchy environment at all, but it was just competitive in a healthy way because, you know, the girls were there to compete and I wasn't being competitive at the beginning. Um, so I, I would see another, maybe if we were, say, visiting um, a hospital or an orphanage, or orphanage, you know, I'd see another, maybe pick, Pick up the nearest baby and hold it for the photo. You know, you. I just started no, noticing, um, how the girls are being a little bit more competitive, and um, so I started copying them and and doing the same. And I just found then throughout the next few weeks, just becoming really super competitive perfectionist. I, you know, would make sure I had a different three different outfit changes every day, so that you were never photographed in the same outfit. And it just became quite um. Strategic, I suppose, is the word. Um, so it did work in my favor. And then by, I think, by the end of the fourth week, when it came to the competition, I felt like I was fully sort of prepped and trained and and polished in this whole whole world of being a beauty queen. So that probably worked in my favor. Um, but maybe just going in really fresh, really new, really amateur to the whole thing actually uh, was uh, beneficial. Yeah, because it just opened my eyes to to what the others we're doing and how they were viewing the whole thing um so yeah as i said that will be 20 years ago this december you got used to
2: i mean having to always be photo ready um and i think that's changed so much now where we're so much more willing to be raw and vulnerable and like the way so like thankfully the way social media is going is like we we can no longer keep up with the constant need to put out a version of ourselves that is so curated or um sanitized even but back then it was very much like you said don't be don't be seen in the same outfit twice and like it's Mm. such a world away from now where we're like yeah going out of our way to be like look how I'm wearing the same dress three times has that carried over that that need to be photo ready that that kind of training in being you know face front first always do you feel you wouldn't be able to not be photo ready instant in like on social media or going down to the shop Would that would that unnerve you
3: um no well sorry first of all just to to comment on what you were saying previously yeah it does feel like an absolute world away where um you know at Miss World I mean Miss World isn't real life either you know I I remember having massive anxiety there I remember having a stress headache for days actually because um we you know, we would maybe I'd be in the shower and we were told we had 10 minutes to be ready for a photo shoot or for filming. So the first time that happened, I just thought, God, I can never leave myself in a situation where I've wet hair and I'm not ready to be. I hair right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only glammed up because I have to work straight after this. Um, But it did teach me quite quickly that you know it would be uh, beneficial maybe to be ready to go all the time and then throughout my erasmus world um because i took a year out of college i would maybe have to take a transatlantic flight get off say in toronto for example and get ready on the plane for um, a red carpet kind of gala dinner and go straight to that so i i got quite um efficient at getting myself ready in in tiny spaces like toilets on planes and putting on a ball gown um, so the anxiety of not being photo ready has kind of made me more aware of being polished just day to day. Um, but saying that, just to answer your, your question there, um, no, it doesn't unnerve me to be, and I do put up snaps of of me with the kids first thing in the morning and that kind of thing on social media. But um, on the flip side, I am also aware that um, what you put on the internet is there forever potentially. So, you know, if it is, a photo that you don't love or if it's maybe a photo or a video or a piece of content that can be taken out of context and used in a different way then I'm always conscious of that and again that's maybe just part of the the awareness I've had over the past 20 years of the media and how things can be taken out of context context and and every comment you make can be picked up in a particular way so it's a bit of everything really you know that that comes together and sort of makes me the way I am now knowing
2: the perils of social media now I mean I know there's lots of benefits would you go back into would you go through the same
3: thing now if in the world of social media that you did 20 years ago um I I would based on you know if I was the same age if I was 19 um going into this world again you know now I would go into it, but I would probably be armed with much more awareness where I try and get as much advice as possible about social media and about um just being online and being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. Because, you know, I, I do think maybe it is taught in schools, but I do think that at primary level need to be taught about um social media and and bullying online and um just you know learning about um how things can be taken out of context and used against you. um, And just what you were saying there previously about um, showing the glammed up versions of you. I always, you know, when I see maybe another mother looking glam online, I first think good for you. It's actually really hard to to get to that point where your hair and makeup is done. But also I, you know, think, you know, I look at myself and think, well, most nights, you know, of my day is spent in my leggings and hoodie combo you know I rotate them I think most days you know with hair up probably no makeup on pseudo cream on the spot you know (laughs) looking really every day so when you do get dressed up you think wow I feel great I I want to you know show how great I feel so I always think you know I never look at people and think oh you must look like that all the time um oh you put so much work into it no I I think obviously you've just got dressed up and you feel great and you feel confident and you know there were days particularly when my children were newborns where you'd just be going for days with like leaky boobs and you know, feeling crap about yourself and and just feeling worn out, and then when you did get a little bit glammed up, you would think, "Gosh, I feel great! I feel like myself again." And you know, you'd want to show that side of you. So,
2: oh yeah, I mean, it really is. It's such a it's such a
3: underrated tool for confidence and
2: a feeling of power and mm. a step in your step. I mean, it really it, that's why we've we've
3: always we've always used it. And um, and then there's the you know the the sort of more normal I wouldn't say boring life isn't that boring with small with children but just the normal everyday stuff I I mean I could put up all of that but it's not that interesting really it's just stuff that we're all doing yeah you know I must hoover the kitchen six times a day <laughs> um I must clean you know food off of cushions more probably than that, find, it's, just, it's, stuff like that, that it's not that interesting it's just and I do show a lot of behind the scenes stuff as well like the, the chaos and the mess that the twins make Um, And the fact that I do have to trail around them cleaning up or else just by the end of the day, it looks like the house has been burgled. Um, But that stuff isn't like that's a lot of people's everyday reality. You don't necessarily want to just show them what they're doing anyway themselves. You want to show something a bit different or or let it be of value to people. I think particularly since COVID and you mentioned earlier about um, social media being more authentic and people responding more to authenticity. I really think yeah since covid since lockdown social media has been really strongly going towards you know showing our our authentic selves maybe discussing our feelings and emotions and and realities and challenges so much more and just showing you know um snapshots of kind of everyday life and and normal things but also making it of value to people you know I always think before I post something you know will anyone get any value out of this um will it give them some kind of information or you know raise some kind of emotion in them you know I always think like that now I think lots of other people do as well you just want to be putting out information that's of value or of help to others or support or
2: you've been a massive support for people um with their fertility journey I mean we're mentioning here you know you're you're three toddlers but there was a time when you were told you might never have a baby um so let's get on to that I mean to fast forward from Miss World, you you meet Wes, you fall in love, you're together, you get married. Did you say you decided to have a year of just enjoying marriage and then assumed you would just try for baby and it would just happen? Hmm.
3: Yeah, so we got married when we were 30. We said we'd just um, enjoy a year of travel and married life and then we'd try for family. We both knew we wanted families. Um, so when we did start trying early 2016, it happened straight away. Um. You know, went to my GP, got that confirmed. I had my eight week scan booked um, in hospital, told my family about five and a half weeks. And at the time I was about 31 and I just thought, what could possibly go wrong? I'm, you know, we're both young, fit, healthy, um, got pregnant straight away. Obviously, it was easy for us, thank goodness. Um, you know, I felt very, very lucky. Um, I remember I told when I told my family, my mom just took me aside and and just said, "Be careful, it's early. Um, anything can go wrong." And I just thought, you know, it was it was mom being worried? She'd had her fair share of fertility issues as well. Um, but at the time, miscarriage and infertility weren't on my radar. I just felt it had never been covered in school. Um, friends hadn't spoken about it. I I knew of a couple of friends who. Did have miscarriages around the six to seven week mark, but had gone on to have full term healthy pregnancies after that. So I just thought if it does happen, it's probably you know a genetic anomaly, and you will go on and have a healthy baby. So I had my first miscarriage. Unfortunately, um, started bleeding at about six and a half weeks, um, with that first pregnancy. Um, had first very painful, very traumatic, uh, miscarriage, and. You know, I, I think I'm still working through the trauma of pregnancy loss now. And it's such a complex trauma that every time I talk about it, you sort of unearth different emotions and different memories. Um, But, uh, you know, so after that first miscarriage, I was advised just to wait a month, try again, try it again. The same thing happened. I lost the pregnancy at around the six and a half week mark. Um tried again um same thing happened for a third time so after the third loss um I remember feeling a little bit more sort of strong maybe I I just felt okay it's happened three times I can I can do this I feel like I'm I didn't feel sort of um weakened or I I didn't feel like quitting
2: or anything I, I is it like the what people fear the most you had been there three times so what else
3: was there to fear Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the first the first loss shook me to the core. I mean, the feeling of the hormones almost draining from your system and that really primal feeling of being pregnant just sort of taken away overnight. And it was painful and and messy. And that was it was horrible Um, that the next two weren't as painful and they were more sort of um more smooth I suppose is the easiest way to say it but still very upsetting I mean once no matter what stage of a pregnancy you lose it um you know you've taken that test you imagine your due date you imagine how life will change in nine months time you know you get that spark of excitement no matter what it's very hard to say to yourself well might not happen don't get excited Mm. and particularly at the beginning um, of a journey.
2: At what stage? I mean, I know you went on to have so many more than mm. you should ever have to experience. Oh my God! But at what I was stage, fourteen of those, yeah, in total. At what stage, or where in that line of fourteen, do you start to feel the anxiety of okay, this might not just be a one-off fluke or random event? Now I don't know what my future that I had sort of visioned. Mm. I don't know what that will look like when did that set in and how were you feeling mentally um
3: after it was after about a year and a half of you know losses almost every cycle I was getting pregnant but losing it but every time I'd have a loss I'd go to and I saw about five different consultants in total in five different clinics we'd go into a different area of testing or try a different type of medication so I sort of found that each each time I got pregnant I'd say right I'll do something a little bit differently or we took a different approach or took different blood tests so that kind of kept me going for a while but I remember specifically it was mid no sorry say it was April 2017 I just had a hysteroscopy um where they looked into my uterus to look for structural irregularities and they cut out the surgeon cut out um a, a little sort of piece of tissue which I was told may have been um, obstructing the you know proper um, implantation and that may have been the cause of my issues so I remember after that being told wait a couple of months before you try again which we did and I was convinced that that was the root of um sorry that the name for the tissue was called a septum there I couldn't remember and so I remember thinking that was and as well my consultant being quite positive that that was the root of my issues and it was just poor implantation into this fibrous tissue that wasn't as sort of spongy as your uterus lining um while you're
2: on that point i mean i know with with a lot of my friends who've gone through fertility issues it seems with them like such a huge part of the anxiety is like when it's undiagnosed and you don't yeah. have have tangible to say yeah. this why so d- did you feel like you could kind of latch on to that information and say okay i can again going back to the control and the being able to say this makes sense now i can address this
3: yeah so up until that point, there had been a lot of self-blame, um, a lot of confusion, a lot of I spent hours researching as well myself just to try and figure out what could be happening. Because no tests. I mean, I probably had hundreds of tests done and scans. Nothing was showing up, anything significant enough to be causing every pregnancy to fail at six and a half weeks nobody could figure it out you know one of the consultants i saw said to me he'd been in fertility practice for 25 years and he'd never seen the likes of it where somebody could get pregnant so easily but lose it so quickly as well so it was incredibly frustrating and um yeah so after i'd had this procedure i was really positive excited got pregnant again when we tried in the june and again the same thing happened six and a half weeks started bleeding and i remember just hitting the lowest point of the whole um journey that day really and um you know i I said to wes actually i'd been thinking about it for maybe a week or so but i I remember having the conversation with him that i didn't think i was going to be the the person to give him a family and that maybe he'd be better off you know finding a partner who who he could have children with because i knew how, how badly he wanted to be a dad And, you know, to me, it just made sense. You know, if you love him, let him go. Like, don't drag him through all of your problems. Because at this stage, you know, obviously fertility being a 50-50 issue, we'd long established that it was actually my issue. He was fine. And he had done all the tests as well for his sperm. So I remember sort of, smiling and just saying no you're the person i married you're the person i want to have a family with so of course i'm not going to leave you to find someone else but it just made total sense and it just showed how dark a place i got to where it just made sense to me to try and break up with my husband um anyway after that um we started looking into um reproductive immunology um and then, yeah, discovered that there was a little imbalance in my... Well, significant imbalance in my immune system. So I went on to medication to suppress my immune system. And that in itself is difficult. Um, High-dose prednisolone steroids, um, which have their side effects as well. Um, I was on immune suppressants, um, all sorts of, uh, you know, heparin, blood thinning medication. I was on progesterone injections. Um, these things were making... Somewhat of a difference um, according to my test results, but not significant enough, my consultant felt, to support a pregnancy. Um, so, yeah, I got to the point then maybe at the end of the year where I was having side effects to the medication, like, well, obviously the, the bloating and the swelling that comes from steroids. Just feeling like that physically poorly from all those injections. Just feeling just depleted and worn out and also depleted from the constant roller coaster of um, pregnancy hormones. Um, So we got to the point then where I just went back to one of my initial consultants and just said, you know, I've tried absolutely everything. I've tried every test scan, you know, being under um, being on the operation, operation table under anesthetic. Nothing has worked. Uh, what 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 will I do? And he just said, you know, I, I don't know if you're actually going to be able to or I don't think you're going to be able to carry your own baby you've done everything um maybe look at other options um surrogacy he mentioned could be an option because all right you know age was on our side fertility by all means we were fertile you know my amh levels were very good um obviously you can't tell egg quality from any tests but everything else pointed to our fertility itself being good um ivf wasn't an option because getting pregnant was was simple bit um so I remember feeling horrified at the idea of surrogacy I mean anxiety levels hit the roof as if they hadn't been bad enough already what was
2: what was the anxiety about with that was it was it not being able to be in control of it yourself
3: yes um so well anxiety was high anyway um at that stage because it was the fear of the unknown with um with infertility you, you don't know if you'll actually get your happy ending or your healthy baby at the end of it um it was the anxiety of of feeling like we would come to the end of our options at that point um and I remember just doing what I always do when I'm feeling an- anxious is making myself really busy with work um I signed up for a master's at the end of 2017 full-time master's um I just was trying everything to take my mind off the reality of our situation but and looking back it's only you realize looking back that you know you're, you're behaving the way you did for a certain reason and, and mine was to deal with my anxiety um so yeah the anxiety around surrogacy is is a particular type of yeah lack of control and the idea of it was really the idea of a stranger carrying my baby my pregnancy in a different country thousands of miles away that that horrified me to be honest um i just thought how could i cope with seeing another woman carrying my child carrying the pregnancy that i should be carrying then i started you know your mind goes to all sorts of dark places and i started thinking you know would a potential surrogate you know grow attached to a baby you know what would her family think? You know, would she enjoy feeling the kicks and the movements? Just your mind goes to a, a weird place.
2: Um, I mean, was it was it impossible to sleep at night when you actually were on that journey and you knew it was happening and you knew the baby was coming and you knew the the woman was carrying the baby? Well,
3: um, do you know what I focused? I focused, and this is advice I would give to anyone going through fertility. Um, you know, fertility treatment or surrogacy is just focus day by day on every tiny, every tiny win, every tiny victory, um, and not looking at the the bigger picture for too long. So, you know, every little victory for me was say going over to Kiev, doing my egg retrieval um operation. Okay, that was a big step out of the way. Next victory was um the frozen embryo transfer into the surrogate. We weren't there for that. No, that just happened when we got home. Um, the next thing was the two week wait and then getting the pregnancy, a uh, positive pregnancy test that our surrogate was pregnant. You know, I just lived scan by scan and tried not to think of the end, tried not to think of anything else but the medical um, information I was I was getting with each scan. So we chose commercial surrogacy. Yeah, it was I was just managing my anxiety all the way through very actively, very um. You know, i was very present in managing my anxiety throughout th- 2019 because it was the only way I, I could get through it um so you know we were getting at the beginning for the first trimester we were getting every f- scan every fortnight and i would be fine for the first week after the scan because i think okay everything's fine normal growth normal development but at then i just become a ball of anxiety for the second week thinking what if something's gone wrong every time my phone pinged for an email or a call came in I'd jump because I think oh no she's lost the pregnancy oh no there's been a miscarriage because you've become so programmed to expect the worst you know once you've had even one pregnancy loss I think it takes the innocence and the the magic out of pregnancy because you're aware of everything that could, could that can go wrong and um, so anyway as 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 you know um everything continued to go go right throughout the the Syracuse pregnancy with Sophia. Um, but I found it very stressful. I mean, I couldn't stop thinking, w- w- what's she up to now? Um, you know, what's she doing every day? What's she eating? Um, even though I knew that um, the clinic and the, the the medical side of the clinic was, was looking after her carefully and monitoring her. But there came a point when she was 23 weeks pregnant, and I remember it so well, it was early August 2019. And I just couldn't help myself. I'd been Googling pictures of a 23 week bump just to see, you know, what she's showing and how big the bump might be. And I asked for a picture. And up until this point, we hadn't met her. We hadn't seen pictures of her. I didn't know who she was. I was only interested in the medical side. It was the only way I could cope with the whole thing. And I asked for a picture. So she very kindly obliged and sent me over a picture And it was so sweet. She was in her apartment against pink wallpaper, because this stage we knew we were having a girl. She had painted her nails pink. She was wearing like a pink gym top and shorts with her bump in full view, like cradling her bump. And I remember just being so overwhelmed with with obviously with gratitude and love and admiration for for our surrogate, but also for like just devastation for myself that she was carrying my pregnancy that she was you know feeling the kicks and the bump and I was just desperate to to have a bump of my own um so I remember it just brought all the human side to to the fore for me and I just found it very difficult I couldn't look at those photos then after that because it just it brought the human element the fact that there was a woman you know I obviously I knew there was a woman behind the pregnancy but I was just trying not to imagine that you know this perfect creature could grow in her and not me you know that's I mean that's just you are that alone is is
2: carrying so much there's so many layers to what you are carrying and then obviously I mean you get your happy ending Sophia is born but at that point like you've kind of swapped the anxieties of loss after loss and and not really having the time or the space to process that because you're just always on to the next one because it's in flux. It's not something mm. that ends. And the total lack of control over my body and yeah, the situation. And then straight into the sur- surrogacy journey, which is a whole other ballgame of, like you say, all those variables of wondering. And then you're handed a newborn. Where, at all, if at all, do you ever get to, or have you yet been able to process all that
3: you carried up to that point? Do you know what? I think through writing my book, through doing talks and podcasts talking about it online i think it's been my way of of working through it and my sort of healing process and it's been very cathartic to share my experiences and journey and anxieties and worries with others um and to realize that there's so many others out there who are dealing with infertility or pregnancy loss or you know any number of of issues on their journey to become um, a parent and I think there's so much power and so much healing in sharing our stories to be able to support others. And, you know, as I said earlier, when we started out on this journey, I had no idea about miscarriage. It wasn't anywhere in my conscience, really. And, you know, I think we've come a long way um, here in Ireland with the conversation and maybe globally in the conversation around fertility and pregnancy loss, because I feel like we're so much more able to sh- to talk about it to share our experiences openly to not feel the shame maybe that we used to I remember feeling huge shame about my body because it wouldn't perform what it was designed to to do not that my whole identity was wrapped up in being a mother or being able to give birth not at all but I sort of felt like I was born with the biological equipment to to procreate and why why couldn't I I must be dysfunctional in some way so um, it's just by talking that we can really heal and, and process our trauma.
2: It's so important, like that element of self-blame, I think when it comes to supporting other people who are like friends or family who are going through fertility issues. Because like you say, like un- until you're in it, experiencing it, like, you don't understand the ins and outs of it. You certainly don't understand the emotional effect if you haven't gone through it. I, I would love to ask you, what do you think isn't helpful or what shouldn't we say to someone going through fertility issues
3: well it's the usual um comments like maybe if you just relax it'll happen for you or um why don't you try IVF? or you know why haven't you had a baby and i used to get this when we got married um maybe a year or two after we got married people were sort of looking at my belly going oh she isn't she and I remember being at a family event and an older lady saying to me, you know, you really should start having babies. How old are you? And I said, oh, I'm 32. And I had just had, I think, my second miscarriage. Um, I'd had a, a couple anyway by this stage. I remember just being broken inside. And she was saying to me, you really should have a baby. I was 22 when I had my first. And me trying to think, what will I say? And I made up some excuse that I was too busy with work and I wasn't ready. Um, but, you know... A couple of years later, I would have actually been completely honest with her and said to her, "I, I actually I'm struggling. I need help. I I can't have a baby." And um, but it takes a while maybe to to come to terms with it yourself. And I I did eventually make peace with the idea that I I was the girl who couldn't have a baby naturally and that I needed medical support and the surrogate. But it did take a while to to process that and come to terms with it. And funnily enough, when I went on to get pregnant with Hugo and Oscar, my twins. Um, when it became apparent say after the 20 week scan that I was going to have two healthy full term babies I had to go and sort of reverse back through everything I'd come to terms with about myself so it was like a reversal of everything I knew about myself having established in my head that you know I was very lucky and fortunate in so many aspects of my life but this was just one area where I couldn't um, you know where I needed help I couldn't have have a child I had to sort of come to terms with the idea that I I was pregnant with two healthy babies and it was a really strange time actually obviously I was excited and delighted and elated and grateful and all those emotions but there was a huge sense of guilt uh, like a survivor's guilt that I um, had come out publicly only a few months previously um, on national television on the Late Late Show to say that I'd been through surrogacy I couldn't have a baby myself and you know I'd been sort of a, a maybe a public person happy to talk about fertility and now I was pregnant and you know I felt a huge sense of guilt for all the people who who were really trying as well and who weren't having success so it was another source of unexpected anxiety to be pregnant and you know to have two healthy babies growing inside of me it's it's kind of hard to describe but um, it took me a long time to announce it because of that. I can imagine that
2: because you become this synonymous with infertility and then it's like oh sorry I'm actually not one of you guys anymore yeah it's, it's happened um I mean it's such a huge like on top of everything you're dealing with it's such a huge responsibility to be responsible for everybody
3: else's um fertility as well mm. you know I mean you were dealing and with- I do tend to feel like I'm responsible for other people's emotions or feelings and I always have been like that so it's
2: Yeah. And it's like, it's an amazing quality, but it can really wear you down. I think, um, were you able, apart from the anxiety of the survivor's, um, guilt, I suppose, after having gone through so many miscarriages, were you able, were you just holding yourself so tightly through that pregnancy? Were you able, was there any point where you relaxed and said, okay, it's actually happening now I can breathe? Well, certainly
3: for the first trimester or even 15, 16 weeks, I was pretty anxious. Um, I was very nauseous up until about the end of week 13, start of week 14. But I think what was a really positive side of the whole experience of that pregnancy was that I was really well cared for in the hospital and um, by a, a specific twin team because being identical twins, there are various issues. It, it was called a high risk pregnancy from the beginning, despite nothing going wrong. Um, but I was very well monitored. So I was in for once a week scans at the beginning. And then later on, every fortnight. So I think that gave me a lot of comfort knowing I was in great hands. But also once you begin to feel kicks and movements, um, that was very reassuring. And that's what marked it so differently to our surrogate pregnancy, because I had no control over any aspect of of that. I couldn't feel obviously the kicks or anything. Um, All I was doing was getting updated on on the scans every couple of weeks so at least I was so much in control of what I was eating you know what I was doing where I was going what, what activities I was doing um but yeah saying that I was I was anxious at the very beginning um the, the twins were conceived straight after my 15th miscarriage um which happened in early March 2020 that was a bizarre experience because I didn't know I was pregnant um although I think once you've you've been through a fertility battle you don't you, you stop trying i mean we weren't trying to have a baby with sophia had just been born but you don't you know you don't try to prevent it either yeah, let's yeah. say that i had this anxiety a whole separate anxiety about missing an egg every month so i'd, I'd had this miscarriage at almost 11 weeks which totally took me by surprise um but so the, the twins were conceived a few weeks later. Um, I had been warned, actually, that I'd be um, extra fertile after a miscarriage at that stage when I went into the hospital and just you know to be a little bit careful. I didn't want another pregnancy so soon, but no, we decided not to be careful. Um, anyway, so that was a source of anxiety at the beginning of my twin pregnancy. And I did have um, quite a significant bleed at nearly 11 weeks with the twins um, almost exactly the same time I'd had the previous miscarriage and that gave me a huge fright. Um, luckily, you know, I went as quickly as possible the next morning into a um, and Street, and they scanned me and everything was fine. But you no, know, I, I did have that little fright. But apart from that, it was a very smooth pregnancy um as far as a twin pregnancy can go um but you know I did we were in lockdown so I really just looked after myself and rested and ate really well and um you know enjoyed um enjoyed the great not enjoyed the cravings but any cravings I had I indulged them you know poor Wes my husband was out nearly every evening to to the shops (laughs) to buy whatever it was I wanted but yeah I did I remember having noodles on toast one day and just all the carbs Oh, lovely. I mean, I want
2: to ask you as well. So I, I didn't experience any, any fertility issues and I got pregnant really quickly and it all went really well. Like my, it was very straightforward. Uh, what I wasn't prepared for was the anxiety that would come when I became a parent. I, I just thought giving birth was the finish line. This is a whole different conversation, but I mean, there. are There is a lot of anxiety with that huge monumental shift of becoming a mother, becoming a parent, life looking so different to what it used to look like, Mm. not knowing what that sleep deprivation is like until you're in it, not Mm. knowing how it can mess with your head. But you've gone through this massive journey and now you're here with three babies and that in itself is really hard, really hard on your relationship, really hard on, Mm. you know, obviously to put work on hold and everything did you feel like because you'd been through so much and you'd fought so hard to get there that you, no matter how many sleepless nights or how hard it was, or when you felt like, oh my God, I just need a break or they're driving me crazy because they do, like you mm-hmm. felt like you couldn't ever complain about it because, and then for me, like if I wasn't able to say I'm finding it really hard, I would have exploded with the with the anxiety mm-hmm. and stress because that was like a release for me to say, is it just me? Is it is it okay if I say I don't love every second of this all of the time?
3: Yeah, you know, you're right um it could be really really challenging some days and even every day there are different challenging moments and some days you find yourself just counting the minutes until bedtime um but yeah you're right there's a certain element of me feeling guilty for for complaining about them or complaining about my situation um you know we are in a situation that it's very difficult to travel I used to travel all the time for work and I miss it I really do um it's been about four years I think since we've been away or even had a night away together me and Wes but it is what it is we're just in a situation where you know the the twins Sophia's great now she's three but the twins are just at their wild destructive stage and we just <laughs> fear they they trash a hotel room or anything if we brought them anywhere um but there is yeah there is a certain level of anxiety wrapped up in motherhood and um as you say an, an anxiety and and being completely honest about the difficult days and the sleep deprivation and you know I do I do find it's sort of a it's a real learning journey with them um and the thing about babies and toddlers is I think once you think you've mastered a certain phase whether it's the weaning or the teething or you know the sleep they they suddenly change and move on to a new phase and you you find yourself going oh my goodness I wasn't prepared for this and I was only saying this to Wes yesterday that um Sophia used to be a bit of a handful, but now she's great. She's really calmed down. She started preschool um, just in the autumn. And she's just really sort of calm and sensible now, whereas the boys have got to the point where they used to be a doddle, but now they're, you know, a handful. Like, you really have to keep an eye on them. They're they're hitting each other. They're, you know, being destructive. They're breaking things. Um, so this is a new phase that they're going through that I actually wasn't prepared for. And I'm finding my responses can be quite knee-jerk. And I, it's it's a whole sort of process of learning to respond to them, learning the best ways to be more patient, and um, the best ways as well to to look after yourself. I think as a mother um, and as a father, obviously as well. But you know, I'm learning new coping strategies all the time. And you know, it it could be as simple as um, taking an hour to an hour and a half when they go to bed to just sit there and and unwind and just. Most nights I like to just sit in silence. I won't turn on the TV. I might listen to a podcast or read a book. But just no one to touch me, no one to ask me for anything. We have a very demanding small dog. He's quite old and he's a little bit incontinent. So he always needs to go out to pee. And he seems to find, you know, he seems to think that the minute the kids are in bed, it's his time to be (laughs) demanding. It's his time to like want to sit on my knee or demand treats. And even when the dog starts to like nag me for things, I'm like, please just don't. Please just everyone leave me alone. And I think Wes is the same because he goes into his man cave slash office and sits there as well. So it's not great for a relationship, really. But then maybe after an hour we both emerge from our caves and and want to watch something on Netflix. But you do really need to build in the, that time every day to just be with yourself, to just process. Um I do meditate on and off. I find that helpful. I have various strategies for stress management. Obviously, stress or obviously sleep um, um being key for your mental and emotional. And physical well-being, it's not always possible. And I was saying to you at the beginning of this chat that I was up a lot in the night with various toddlers who who wanted to, you know, go downstairs and not sleep. But um, yeah, you you just power your your way through the day and hope for a better sleep. Um and I had, the next I night exercise is
2: and a big is a big thing for you. I mean, would you feel it that would like, yeah. get worse if you did if you had a week? Because it's often the first thing that I drop for me I'm like, I'm too much on, I'm too overwhelmed. Like, I don't need to go to the gym, but then I really notice that I really don't, I feel so much better. I think it's because if it feels like one thing that you, if you get it done, you feel like the, the psychological impact of having done it is like, oh, that's one thing I'm on top of where I've controlled, even yeah. if rest, everything else has gone to shit. Obviously there's endorphins and everything as well, but I know exercise is, is key for you.
3: Do you fit it in every day? Um, I do try to. I do notice if I don't exercise for a few days, I feel a little bit lethargic and tired and um, maybe not myself. And, you know, exercise, I think has become first and foremost a a coping mechanism for stress as you say the endorphin release um, and much less so about any aesthetics or anything like that it's just really become a way for me to be in my own thoughts or or not for half an hour you know um so i do try to go to pilates class maybe once or twice a week i love just someone else telling me what to do for an hour um you know we do a lot of kind of playgrounds outings with the kids um park walks that kind of thing we're lucky to live next to a park um and then we have a little home gym as well so i just do try to keep up with kind of home workouts again it's just so i can stick a podcast in my ears and zone out for 30 minutes and just do a little routine and i just do think it's so important for for your mental and emotional well-being for just feeling balanced as you say that element of control when so many other aspects of our days are out of control um so that's yeah it's another major one is exercise and then you know i i study nutrition so i am aware of what i put into my body how i can support my again my mental and emotional and physical health through what i eat um I've, you know, introduced, um, actually introduced ashwagandha at the beginning of this month. I was feeling so burnt out after Christmas and so kind of overwhelmed um, after the Christmas break. I think, again, it's just busy. You're trying to entertain your children all day. Obviously, school was out for a couple of weeks. And, you know, there's so much to do as well that I just thought I'll introduce this. Um, so I take what? I think it's 500 milligrams a day. And I have noticed actually an improvement um since taking it it's an, an adaptogen an adaptogenic herb so it does help to buffer stress lower cortisol um obviously i'd say to anyone to check with your doctor if you do start any um, supplements because it, some of them can interact with medications but i have noticed a difference you know i take magnesium and make sure i have my my b vitamins things like that do help to just support you from a nutritional perspective so it's just all of these elements coming together um but and it's again it, as i said it's just a it's a process because you're you're growing and learning with your child and i find that they take the lead it's not really me teaching them so much as them teaching me and you know children are our greatest teachers um because it's them sort of changing their their sleep patterns and you know, we go through phases of great sleep. And then Oscar, one of my twins, has been coming in to me at five um, every morning and he just wants a cuddle. And I can't deny him that. I love it as well. But like, you know, our alarms go off at six anyway to get Sophia ready for school. So at five o'clock, there's, I find there's no real point in going back to sleep. Um, so I kind of don't. I just he just gets cuddles in bed. You know, so you're just adapting and learning as you go and trying to manage your stress and anxiety in the best way way possible as well and that's that's all we're doing I feel like we're we are winging it every day nobody knows what the next day holds it's just about how we can respond in the best way to our situations
2: and I mean I feel like there's always the the question of what's next for you and sometimes it's just enough to be just getting through the day especially Mm -hmm. you three small kids but do you have your sights set on any new projects will there be any more books or because you've you know you've you're so passionate about
3: I guess, raising awareness of fertility issues? Um, no books in the pipeline. I wrote my third book, When Dreams Come True, um, in 2021 and released it that year as well. And looking back, I have no idea how I managed with three babies in the house. But everybody around me kind of chipped in and helped. And, you know, my mom and aunt used to come and bring them out for walks for a couple of hours so I could get you know some work done. And I did start writing the book um, while I was still pregnant as well. So that helped. Um, But I think when you have a deadline, as you know, as well, being a writer and an author, when you have a deadline, you just do it. You just somehow power through and you find the hours. Um, But yeah, no, no books planned. It's just a case. I mean, work is always busy. As I said, I can't travel as much as I used to or at all. But I think our one one goal for this year as a family is to try and go on a family trip whether it's a staycation or um abroad i'm not sure yet how it'll work but um we might even you know we have nice weather over the summer go down to wexford and uh, enjoy the beaches down there which are beautiful so really our sort of you know i've simplified life an awful lot um it's about just as you say surviving the day getting through making sure everyone is just happy and healthy um life is so busy just running a household keeping everyone going keeping the fridge stocked. you know it's, it's just busy and what about the perfectionism these days has this eased off at all and it's improved no it has improved because there are just things I can't do in the same way anymore and you know there might be a day where I can't um get my work I done or I can't wash my hair or brush my hair even you know washing your hair as you know as a mum, it's a big deal now because it takes so long to wash and dry. Um, so yeah, I've lowered my expectations of myself definitely. And you know, my my job, my role at the moment is to look after my children, and I do put them first in everything. Um, I do, and certainly until the boys start preschool, um, they'll be starting at the end of August, and then I might have a bit more time. I'll hopefully have you know the mornings um, a little bit more free, and then I can maybe think of what to do next but um you know i think you always find a way to fill your time anyway and whether it's seeing friends again a little bit more or but like to meet yourself where you're at like you're in this
2: season of motherhood and it's not always going to be this way i mean they will grow up and i think for me anyway changing my my perception of what success has to look like in a day or a week for like taking it away from those traditional metrics of you know income or or professional work like you know just sometimes I spent I mean a huge portion of my day with with my toddler and I feel like you know I don't have anything to show for it at the end of the day but like we're alive we have been fed maybe maybe the place isn't a total shit show and like sometimes that's all it it needs to be and that's like and I think that's really I think that's a, a whole other conversation but that's really hard for mothers to slow down to that pace of just being day by day when you've been an ambitious person and you know you also have the
3: career brain as well but um I've been the same I've just had to put everything on the back burner for a few years and and redefine as you say redefine my idea of of who I am and what I want and what I really wanted was to be a mother and now it's it's about embracing it and making sure my children are well-rounded and happy and and you know nobody tells you I think when you were talking about um, giving birth being the the final, you know, <laughs> the end point, what anyone really talks about, I find, is the getting pregnant and giving birth, and then having the newborn. Isn't that great? No one really tells you how do you entertain a one year old all day, or what do you do after that. And it's such a it's such a big learning experience in itself. And I find once your baby is born, it's all about the baby, as it should be, of course. But
2: it has to be about you. Yeah, too. you yeah. are at the top of the pyramid and if you're if you fall apart the rest of it falls apart you know you, yeah. you- your well-being I just I'm so passionate about this like it just even with questions and the conversations we have when someone has a baby has the baby and is a baby reaching the birth weight and oh has the baby sleep but it's like also how are you we yeah. could have several hours more chats on I so know I know topics. of, of, time. of, we don't take people's of time your time and letting you get back to your beautiful family and your work Um, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your experience it is it's just so staggering like what you've been through and you're telling me all this with like so such a smile on your face and you're, you know, you're so resilient and you're so grateful for where you are and you're beaming talking about your, your kids. And oh, I, it, I'm just so happy that I don't have to go
3: to another fertility clinic or take another blood test like that. And just my heart, you know, my whole reason for sharing my story so publicly is so that other people don't have to go through the same trauma and they will, of course, but I, if I can just support another couple through what they're going through, that's a job yeah. done. It, yeah, that's, um, it's just that's about supporting, supporting giving support. comfort and hope mm.
2: yeah support and not feeling alone and not and like stepping away from the self blame if people listening to this can mm. come away from that mm. then I think something good will have come from it um, but thank you so much for being so willing to share and being vulnerable and letting me have such a great insight into your experience Um, I really appreciate it and it's been so awesome. lovely to chat. Thank you it's been a great
3: chat I really appreciate it